Good morning, church. Take a seat. Everyone all right? Good. So when I'm preaching today, give me some feedback. Give me some amens. Say stuff in agreement. Chuck some tomatoes if you want. But give me some feedback this morning. I've got a bit of feedback on this mic, actually. Different type of feedback. But there we go. So as many of you know me, but you don't, some of you don't, I'm Sarah Jane. I'm married to Dan. We've got two daughters. And in our life, I'm going to give you a little encounter of what's been happening in the last couple of weeks in our lives. And we have been the target of identity theft. Didn't know it was going on. A couple of weeks ago, we got a letter from one of the banks saying, thank you for setting up your current account and we've got your agreed overdraft limit. Enjoy spending. We had not set up a current account with this particular bank. The next day, we got another letter. And then on Friday, we got another letter. So we've done all the things that we need to do in order to put a stop to this. But someone has stolen our identity. Someone is pretending to be us to open up these accounts. We shred all of our important letters. We're careful when we go online. But somehow someone has got hold of details and has started this process of pretending to be us. Quite scary, the thought of another me running around Colchester. (laughs) But someone has been trying to do this. And it got me thinking of what happens in the natural, happens in the spiritual. That there is a thief who is after your identity, church. There is a thief who schemes and he plans and he strategically puts things in order so that he can steal the identity of who you truly are. If you remember the early part of this year, we had a theme verse that went on probably February time. Can anyone remember our theme verse which relates to the thief? Except Pastor Barry, he'll know this one. It is John 10, yes, lady at the front, give her a prize, box of chocolates. John 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That is what Jesus died and went to the cross for, so that you and I can live a free, full life. And yet the enemy hates us. That is the truth. And he wants us to live the worst possible life. And in order to do that, he likes to come and steal from us what is rightfully ours. Because we have been given a new name by Jesus when we follow Christ. When we become a Christian, the old is dead, the old is gone, and we step into the new. Because we are new creations. We are new beginnings. We are not who we used to be. And yet the identity thief wants to come and steal that away from you so he can stop you fulfilling your purpose. He will come with things like reminding you of who you used to be. Because we've all got a past. And when we've made that decision to follow Christ, that is dead and buried and gone. And we move into the new of what God has for us. Yet he wants to keep reminding you of who you used to be. Because if he can remind you of who you used to be called and the name you used to have, he can draw you to shrink back and become Uh, somebody not who God has called you to be. He wants you to live a mediocre, okay life. But God wants you to live the best life, full of purpose, full of breakthrough, full of hope. Because every single person sat here today, there's a God-given purpose for your life. And the enemy wants to steal that. So I've come today with a message that I want to encourage you. Remember who you are and whose you are. Get your identity back today, church. The enemy wants to call you the names that you used to be. Broken, rejected, failure, addict, not enough, unloved, unwanted, abandoned. And he wants to keep reminding you of that. So even when you've made that decision, you say, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. Yeah, but you're full of shame. 
look at, look at what you've done wrong. Wants to draw you back to who you used to be. And yet God is calling you by a new name this morning, church. He says you are redeemed and you're righteous. You are freed. You are healed. You are set apart. You are a chosen people. I have a plan and a purpose for you. You are a child of God. You're a king's kid. You are my hope to the world. That is who you are. And I want to remind you today, church, of who God has called you to be. Not the person next to you, but who God has called you to be. If we could have 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 10 in the New King James Version. So this is you. Put your name in front of this. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So you've come out of one kingdom of darkness and where your life wants to be crushed and pressed down and oppressed, and you've been brought into this marvellous kingdom of life. And as you walk with Jesus, you are every name that he has given you. You are more than a conqueror. You are a victor. And you may not feel like that this morning, but it's the truth of the word of God, and I want to declare it over the church this morning. Like in the feedback, and no tomatoes. So just as the enemy attacks our identity, he did this to Jesus. He used the same weapons, the same methods to come and and attack the identity of Jesus Christ. So it makes me think if he did that to Jesus, we are going to have that same attack. We're going to come under that same spiritual oppression, but we need to know how to fight it like Jesus did. So we're going to look at when Jesus was tested in the desert. Before he started out in his ministry, he went away for a time of prayer and fasting. And then the enemy tempts him three, on three times, three occasions, to try and attack his identity. So in Matthew 4, verses 1 to 3, it says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 40 days, 40 nights, he was really hungry, that should say. He was famished and really starving. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus was physically weak. He was vulnerable. He was in a place of isolation. He was out in the wilderness, in the desert. And the enemy comes and says, If you're the Son of God, not you are the Son of God, if Are you the son of God? If you are, turn those stones into bread. And the truth is that Jesus could have turned those stones into bread and have eaten and felt satisfied. But the enemy came in with that word to try and challenge his identity. If you're the son of God. Trying to make him live a life less than the purpose that he's called to. Because the enemy's tactics were, if I can get him to turn those bread into uh, stones into bread, that'd be the wrong way around, and, and eat from that, then I've got him to bow down to a lesser life and maybe I could get him off the path of his purpose because maybe then if he gave in at this moment in his most weakest and vulnerable time he won't then go on to ministry and then on to the cross to save everybody sat here maybe I could just get him to lose his identity so he won't fulfill his purpose he attacks us the same way maybe if I can get the church to shrink back 
And maybe if I can get them to have an identity crisis of who they really are. And they start to look inward of like, how possibly can I be used by God? Because I've got all this, that and the other baggage in my life. And how possibly can he call me righteous and set apart and free and holy when I'm just not there? If he gets us to shrink back, to look inward, to draw on the outskirts of church, to not be part of where the family is, just maybe then he can cause us purpose to be lost. He can cause us just to live a mediocre, ordinary life, and then he's got us just where he wants us. So my challenge today is, church, do not be tempted by the enemy. Know who you are and whose you are. Remind yourself of who you are and whose you are. So what did Jesus do in this situation? Come on, Jesus, turn the stones to bread, and you will be satisfied after 40 days of not eating. What does he do? He replies in an amazing way, Matthew 4, verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He goes straight to the word of God, to the scriptures, and he fights the enemy with the word. And he declares the word, he speaks it out because he knows the word. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone. It's not about just feeding our physical bodies and feeling full, but we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so I want to remind you today of what the Bible says, who you are and where it says it. Because often I think as Christians, perhaps if we're further down the journey of being a Christian, it's easy to forget sometimes. So let's remind ourselves. And there is so many verses that tell you who God has called you to be. We've got in John 5.15, do you know God calls you a friend of God? 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4, you are chosen people. Ephesians 2 verse 10, you are a workmanship of God, original, handmade, designed person on purpose for God. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, you are a temple where the Holy Spirit lives. Acts 1 verse 8, you are a messenger to the world. You've got a story to tell of the goodness of God in your life and how he saved you. We've even sung and our worship leader has said that this morning. This is where I was, but this is where I am now. We've got a story to tell. Romans 5 verse 8, you're greatly loved. John 8 36, you are free. You are no longer lost. You are free and you are no longer a slave to sin. You are free. You're no longer an addict. I want to say that this morning because Jesus can set you free. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, you are brand new. There's a smell of something when you get in a brand new car. There's a smell about you. You are brand new this morning, church. Galatians 3.26, you are a child of God. Redeemed, reclaim your childhood today. I belong to the kid. My children don't worry that there's going to be food on the table when we get home after church because it's already there. And as a king's kid, we do not need to worry about whether there's going to be food on our table because we serve a mighty God. We need to not worry. Let's go back to our child and say, Jesus, I'm just going to live for you and you can sort everything out for me. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. That's who you are. I want to remind you this morning. The enemy comes to Jesus with a second test. Matthew 4, verses 5 to 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God. Again, if you are the son of God. He said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
And I love this because the enemy is coming to try and manipulate Jesus with half the truth. The enemy is quoting the Bible to Jesus but out of context. And he's coming at it because who knows? The enemy knows the word, by the way. The enemy knows the word of God. And so he comes with it. And if Jesus didn't know the word, he might think, actually, it does say that. Let's give up on this purpose. I've got three years of ministry. That's a lot of work to do. Then I've got to go to the cross. Let's forget it. But he didn't because he was a man on a mission and he was purposeful of what his God had called him to. But the enemy comes to manipulate because the enemy is not an original. He knows half the word, but he's not an original church. And he comes at you with lies. The Bible tells us he is the father of all lies. So he will come with something that's so close to the truth and entice you with a carrot that's dangled. And yet it's not all the truth. But we need to know the truth of the word of God. Do we know the word of God? Are we battle ready with the word of God, church? Do we know our Bible enough that when the enemy comes to tempt us, when the spiritual forces come to lure us away from a lesser life than the purpose that God has called us, are we ready with our word to fight with the sword of the spirit? You know, I'll talk about this later on in the message, but we are given a weapon which is called the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And it's a defensive weapon and it's an offensive weapon. And we need to use it. We need to know our words so that when the enemy comes to us, we can speak out the word of God. We need to know it here and then speak it. The word is life. It is the truth. And we need to know that when he comes, so when the enemy keeps coming back to lure you back to who you used to be, oh, you're never going to amount to anything. You're always going to think that way you are just too shameful for God to use when he draws you back all the time to your past and says look look what's happening in your life is any good happening you might as well not follow Jesus when he draws you back because he will come at you with that all kinds of different temptations because he wants to steal your identity so you don't go on to fulfill your purpose he will do that but we do we know the word enough Do we know that when we're having a really low moment where we're thinking I'm between jobs, I've got nothing going on at the moment, is God really there for me? Do we know what the word of God says, that he will provide all my needs according to his riches? Do we need to come back with the word when we're fearful, we've got a health issue? Do we need to say, I do not need to fear, but I put my trust in God who is my rock? Do we know the word enough to declare it when we're going through stuff with our kids and we're thinking this is never going to come right? But do we need to say, train the way and train the children in the way they should go and it will not depart from them do we know the word of God enough because we've got to get it in us church we've got to know it do you know even Jesus had to learn the scriptures he was fully God fully man and he came to earth but he had to learn the scriptures and there's a lovely story in Luke 2 which makes me feel so much better about my parenting when I read this story because have many of you either parents grandparents aunties or uncles ever gone to go bananas in Colchester on, on a Saturday, at peak time, there is a sound that comes out of that place that is ungodly. There, 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 is, there is sweat on, like, on plastic equipment that is, is just not good. And, and there's a million children in there and you walk in there and, and Dan and I get to the word and we pray that, God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me as I darken the doors of Go Bananas on a Saturday. And there's that moment, you've got your coffee, there's no table, you're spilling it, you're standing there, and your kids have just gone mad and gone wild. It's like the the adults are like two hours of just letting them go crazy. But there's that moment when you can't see your children. I've got a five and a nine-year-old, and and you can't see the five-year-old, and there's hundreds of kids there, and there's all these parents who don't want to be there, and you're just looking. And for that minute, you start off with this stance, you're like... Just looking around, just as though you're not really looking for your child you've lost. and You're looking, make sure there's no one gone out with them. Are their shoes still there? 
And, th- and then you get into panic mode. Well, I do, and I'm like, oh, they're not there. So then you've got to go on the frame. And, the- and, then-, and then there's those ropes. Oh, even though you've got socks on, they really hurt, and you're climbing up those hard ropes. The kids are loving it. I'm like, what am I doing? And I'm climbing through tunnels, and I'm trying to find. And then by now, my mind's going, my child is going to be hanging upside down by a rope off the top of the, the frame, and I've got to rescue them. And eventually you find your child, and you hug them like there's no tomorrow. And you're like, oh, I've saved you. You're not lost. But Mary experienced this in Luke 2. You see, her and Joseph and Jesus and a load of people went off to Jerusalem. And she lost Jesus for three days. The mother of God lost Jesus for three days. I feel so much better about losing my kids for 10 minutes. I'm like, Jesus, you lost me. Thank you for putting that in there, Luke 2. But they lost Jesus and there was that frantic moment of Joseph turns to Mary. Well, you were looking after him. And she said, well, no, you had the backpack with the drinks and it was your responsibility. And there was that moment, well, where is he? And you see, and they're thinking, where are we going to find him? And do you know where they found him? They found him in the temple reading the scriptures. They found him studying the word because they didn't have access to the word like we have it. You had to go to the temple to read the scriptures. And there he was, and he was sat against the scribes of the day. And the Bible tells us that he grew in wisdom and stature. He was 12 years old. And he was found there. It's almost like that parent of the teenager. And you're looking around town for them on a Saturday night, and you're thinking, where am I going to find them? They're 17. They're going to be in the nightclub. And you find them in the library. What a proud moment. Mary must be like, that's my boy. I knew he'd be there. Joseph said, yeah, I told him to go there. And just imagine it, can't you? But it's like, that's where he was found. He was found in the word of God. And you know, we have so much access to the word today. You know, you go back 30 years, no internet. You couldn't just Google part of a verse and find the rest of it. You couldn't listen to a podcast. You couldn't have a hard copy of your Bible and a Bible on your phone or your iPad or your all sorts of inus that we have these days. We have access to the word of God like no generation has had it before. And yet my question is, are you accessing it? Because there's all different methods. I know not everyone's a reader. Some people are like, I don't like reading. Do you know you can listen to the word of God? And in fact, when I was preparing this preach, I did a little test. So I'm going to read some passages from Ephesians. Ephesians is six chapters. So I listened to Ephesians, six chapters, 20 minutes it was, as I did the washing up. And what I even like better church is you can listen to it in a variety of languages (laughs) and in a variety of accents. Here we go, church. So... For those of you who don't know me, I love an accent. I, I think I can do the accents, but I can't almost do any of them. But, but I listen to Ephesians by sort of like a, a posh English accent with piano music in the background. It was moving. I mean, I was washing the pans and I was just like, oh, it's just I really got into it. It was so good. But it made me think there's so many different accents you could listen to the scriptures in. And they would probably mean different things in different accents. So I'm going to do one for you this morning. Lord, help me. So, we've already had this verse read out this morning, John 3.16. But imagine it in a Brummie accent, Birmingham accent. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But if that was in German, that would be a bit harsher, wouldn't it? I'm not going to try that one today. It's got any germs. <laughs> okay, so I want to say to you, get word ready. You know, make a space, get a comfy chair and a mug of tea and say, I'm going to do 10 minutes a day. It will change your world. 
Whatever you can do, get it so you're going to enjoy it because it is life. And you know, I can read the same verse a hundred times and get something different out of it because the Holy Spirit gives me revelation to read the Word of God. It's the truth. We need to get it in us and then get it out of us. Are you declaring the Word of God in your life? Because what you speak will happen. So declare it. Amen. Right. So the third test that the devil did for Jesus to attack his identity, again, Matthew 4, verses 8 to 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Again, he wanted to attack his identity. All this I'll give to you if you bow down and worship me. You've got your purpose, you've got your plan, you know what God birthed you for, what you're called to do. But if you bow down, you can have all this take the easy option and I wonder in our life in the process of our purpose what have we bowed down to who's that person that we're dating that we know isn't really God's highest but we're bowing down to it because we don't want to be single and left on the shelf you know what's the business I'm going to say it harsh this morning church come on (laughs) it's not appropriate to the marrieds (laughs) yeah um In your career choices and the stuff you're doing, what are you bowing down to to get that little bit of extra on the side that you shouldn't really have, that you know is not God's highest? What have you bowed down to when it's tough going, doing your calling and you look at that person and think, oh, I've only had their life. It's so much easier. But God's given you your life and you get one life. And he's saying, don't bow down to something when it gets tough, but keep pushing on to the purpose because it was tough for Jesus to go to the cross. It was tough for Jesus who had never sinned or done anything wrong, who had a completely perfect score, who died on behalf of me, who has messed it up. That cost him a lot. It was a hard journey, but I want to say in the hardness of your purpose, don't give in. Get joy for the journey and keep pushing forward because God is with you. Because why? Because my Bible says it, that even though I walk through the valleys, he is with me. His rod and his staff protect me and he will help me fulfill my God-given purpose on this land. Don't give up in the process. You know, we've got a wedding coming up next week. Andy and Emily are getting married. And one thing that always happens at weddings, I'm going to prophesy like it's done here, you'll see why, is there's champagne. Once they've got married, the court comes off and there is champagne. It's a celebration. We always use champagne to celebrate. You know, the Grand Prix, they go on the podium, they get a massive bottle of champagne, a magnum, and they spray it everywhere. Wasteful. But they... They do that. Um, I think one day it'd be funny if one of the drivers was actually like trying to get a little bit off that, but yes. But we celebrate. There's, there's a job promotion. There's something, an engagement in your family. You celebrate. You get the champagne out. You pop the cork off. But do we think about the process of champagne? Because when we celebrate, it's lovely and we drink it and a lot of the bottles are quite expensive. But there's a process that the grape goes to become the champagne. And I'm going to talk you through the process of champagne today. And do you know, I've done my research, it was discovered by Dom Perignon, might have heard of that champagne. He was a monk in the 16th century. 
And accidentally, he was a winemaker and he accidentally produced champagne. There was a science bit, ask Io about that. But he went to the other monks and he said, I am drinking the stars. And that's the famous quote of champagne. It's like drinking the stars. He produced it. But the whole process of champagne is quite a process to go through. It's not just like, brilliant, I fancy some champagne. I'll make it out of one of those kits you can buy in Smith's toy shop, you know. I can make the champagne. But what happens is the grapes are on the vine and they are growing and they're nice and juicy and they're ripe. And the sun is on them and they've got this lovely, happy life going on the vine. And then it's time for them to be plucked. And they are plucked off the vine and they're put in big vats and they are crushed and they are squashed and they are cut until the juice comes out. And if that wasn't enough, it happens all over again. The very last bit of juice is squeezed out of those grapes and they are squashed down. The juice is then taken and the winemaker puts it into unmarked bottles, puts corks in the top and puts it in a very dark cellar puts in the alcohol to make the magic stars happen. And they sit in a dark, damp, cold cellar, hundreds and thousands of bottles on racks, ready for the magic to happen of the stars. The winemaker then looks over time to see which bottles will survive, because some of them will combust in the process, and glass will shatter and go everywhere, and the liquid is lost. But then he looks to see which ones are surviving. And then he comes, and then he cuts off the end of the bottle. Over time, before he does that actually, over time he turns the bottles ever so slightly. So keep turning to move the sediment that will settle in the bottles to get it to the neck of the bottle. So every week, every month, every year he turns the bottles ever so slightly in order for the sediment to get in the neck of the bottle. Then he comes and he cuts off the neck of the bottle, takes out the sediment, recorks the champagne, leaves it there. And then he comes along with his label, Dom Perignon, Laurent Perrier Rosé, sticks it on and says, you are mine. You belong to this wine house. You have got the label on you now. And then he waits until it's ready, until it's going to be absolute prime drinking. He waits and he looks and then he takes the bottles from the cave, from the wine rack, and he puts them to purpose in celebration. And you know, there's a label that Christ has placed on you. He's put you with a seal that you belong to me. And you go through this time and maybe you're in the cave right now and you're like, well, what is going on with my purpose? But he's getting you ready. He's getting you ready until he says it's time now for you to come out. But he's already put his label on you through the purpose. He already calls you child of God, daughter, son, co-heir with Christ. He calls you beautiful and pure, and set free, and redeemed, and loved, and accepted, and purposeful. He calls you that already. He's put his mark on you. We have the seal of God on us, church. And he calls us out of that place and puts us to use. And you will see the celebration of your life. You will see it in Jesus' name. Let's become who we were created to be. Let's not live a lesser life by an enemy who wants to make you low and beneath because actually the enemy is beneath our feet, church, because God has already won it. Read the end of the book. We're on the winning side. So back to Jesus in the, in the desert. The enemy has come and said, bow down. Bow down. You can have all this. Forget your purpose. Just bow down. It's all access to you. All you've got to do is bow down. What did Jesus do? Did he bow down to the enemy? No, of course he didn't. Matthew 4, verses 10 to 11. Jesus said to him, 
Away from me, Satan, for it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. And I love that. I love that. Away from me, Satan. What you've got to offer me is not a patch on what God has got to offer me. Get away from me. And as soon as he said that, you go, Satan, because it is written. It is written in the word of God. You go. The devil left him. And then what happened? The whole of heaven came and attended him. You know, when we resist the devil, he flees. And then heaven attends us. We're all going to go through trials, temptations and situations. But I want to say to you, resist the devil and let him flee. Even when it's so enticing. Even when it's the carrot that's just so tasty just for you. And we've all got different ones that will dangle in front of us. But let's resist the enemy and he will flee from us. What's at risk for your purpose? How can the enemy get you in the mind to go off track? There's a lot risk of risk because I think if there's a church full of people who are on fire, who know who they are and knows who they are, who they belong to, we are going to cause some destruction for the kingdom of darkness. We're going to push forward together when we all get it and when we all go together with our purposes, all different. No one's lane is the same here. No one's, no one's lane is so identical. We've got all different callings and purposes but when we do it together and you run in your lane and I run in mine and you run in yours, we're going to have some impact for the kingdom of darkness. We're going to bring heaven to earth, church. One of the names that God calls us is Righteous. And all it means is that we're right with God. It's a big name for being right. Because of what Jesus did, dying on the cross and, and dying in place of my sin and your sin and giving us this brand new clean slate, we are made right with God. So that when God looks at us, he looks at us through the eyes of Jesus and he sees perfection. He sees us as his called out kids. So once you've given your life to Jesus, you are eternally right. And I want to look at that a little bit today in the book of Ephesians. I could do it in the Birmingham accent, but it's too long, so we'll leave it there. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote the book of Ephesians when he was in a prison cell. And I always think that's amazing because he wrote it out of a place of being bound and imprisoned. He wrote all about the freedom of God and this life we've been given. And I'd encourage you this week, read it, listen to it. It's brilliant. It's so inspiring. It talks about how we should live our lives, how we should live in unity, how we should live holy, how we should live together. It's a brilliant, encouraging piece of scripture. And I'm going to read to you how he sums it up in Ephesians 6. He, he tells us all this amazing stuff about how we should live, how we've been redeemed, who we are, our identity. And then he sums it up. And it's almost like there's this pause when the posh man was reading it to me with the piano music. It's suddenly like, finally. And this is how he finishes the book of Ephesians. Finally. So I'm going to read it to you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after that you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
And what this part of scripture is that Paul was seeing, and perhaps he was seeing this from his prison cell, he was seeing um, soldiers dressed for war and they had the whole armour on. And in my mind, I always imagine it like the knight's armour. They're all covered up with all this stuff. And he was talking about all the different pieces of armour and how it relates to our spiritual walk, how we need to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, how we can fight back the enemy. The belt of truth. If you know the truth of the word of God, you've got that belt around you and it's holding everything in place. And he talks about the breath plate of righteousness and I want to touch on this one today because the breastplate would have been like a material of like metal and it would have covered the chest and it protected the most vital organ in the body the heart because otherwise an arrow or something could pierce through and kill you game over and so the breastplate of righteousness is telling us to guard our spiritual hearts You know, your heart, your spiritual heart is your lifeline. It's your relationship with Jesus. It's my heart. We sing about make my heart pure, make my heart love God. It's about that heart, that passion. It's the passion in your heart for your walk with Jesus. It's the passion to read your Bible. It's the passion to speak out the truth of God. It's it's that bloodline going through that's keeping you going, that's saying life is like this at the moment, but I'm pressing on because I'm trusting my God. It's your heart. It's who you are. We give our hearts to Jesus. It's what makes up you. Your passion is in here. And so the breastplate of righteousness is protecting your heart in the armour. It's not perfection because we're not perfect, but it's protecting our heart. And this part of the armour I want to say to us today is, church, don't let your breastplate slip down. Don't let the enemy get your heart because he's after your heart. He wants your heart to be disheartened. He wants you to look at your life and say, oh, This is not enough. And so he draws you away. He wants your heart to turn from your first love that's Jesus and turn to loving the world. He wants your heart to be captivated and troubled by so many other things that you lose that passion and you lose that heart for Jesus. He's after your heart. He wants your identity and he wants your passion. He's after your heart. And so when... We've got this righteousness saying, I'm eternally right with God. We are protecting our heart. It's a protective piece of armour that's saying, I'm going to protect my heart. And the things that will come against your heart is not living according to the life that God has called you to, according to your purpose and this wonderful free life that we've got. And what we do is sometimes that armour slips down and we allow the enemy to get to a heart. It's then exposed. And the way that we do that is by not living in accordance with the word of God, that we don't live holy like the word has told us to. And you know, I love the fact in church, we say, come as you are. We want everyone to come because we've all got our stuff and we've all got our sin and we've all got the stuff that draws us away from Christ. But the church says, come as you are. But then Jesus says, but don't stay like that. Be renewed. Let me come and work with you to chip away at the stuff that is not right living. And when we don't live right, maybe we're like this on a Sunday, Jesus, but we know by Wednesday afternoon, we know the stuff that we are doing or seeing or saying or saying about ourselves that doesn't line up with the word of God. We know we're beating ourselves up about how rubbish we are and how we're never going to amount to anything. And we say these negative things about us. It slips down and we're not protective and then the enemy gets on the back of it. Yeah, you are rubbish. There's no plan for your life. You might as well give up. Why is there so much suicide? Because there's a voice that tells people, you might as well just give up. But church, we have an armour. We have this word of God and we're saying, put it back in that place. Let's cover our hearts and be protected so that we don't give the enemy any way in. And we say, no, I'm righteous. 
God has made me righteous. I am righteous. I am right with God. And therefore, I will live a life that is not less than my calling, but is at where God has called me to, to live a life that is holy and pure and positive and on fire and that will draw people. You know, I want my life to be like, I want what she's having. <laughs> I want people to say that. And what I've got is Jesus Christ in my life. And we are all called to be that, to be his witnesses. So I want to encourage you to get your breastplate on. Matt, if you Let's walk worthy of the call that Jesus has placed on our lives. You know, if he went to the cross for me so that I could be set free and live an amazing life and then one day be in eternity with him, I want to do my absolute best to live right. I want to live according to this word. I want to be kind when it doesn't feel like I should be kind. I want to love people when it's hard and I want to push through stuff. I want to live that life that God has called me to. And I want to encourage that church. You're not who you used to be. You are not who you used to be. The Bible tells us that we're going from glory to glory to be more Christ-like. So every time we look in that spiritual mirror, we should see Jesus. That we are called out of darkness and into life. And I want to say that over people. There are people here today who I know still think that they are full of shame. They think that they can't be used by Christ. That they're too bad. That they've done something too wrong. But Jesus died on that cross so that we would live a free life. And he said it is forgiven. Our sin is forgiven. He has set us free. The Bible tells us who the Son sets free is free indeed. So we live in that freedom today, church. So let me declare victory over you, that you are a victor, that you are a child of God, you are chosen and purposeful, you are the, God has given you righteousness, that you are in a place that God has called you to, son, daughter, co-heir in Christ. So if I could ask you to stand for me now, I'd love to pray for you.